So, how many of you have heard the term psychological safety thrown around more times than you can count? And how many of you are still a little confused about what it means? I get it. But it turns out, if you're a leader who cares about making your workplace more just and compassionate, then it's one of the most important constructs you can understand and practice for your team. So that's what we're going to do today. Not only give you some clarity around the term, but also talk about how you can practice the skills that create psychological safety for your team and the teams that you're part of, and we'll give you resources for learning more. I'm Terry Schmidt, founder of Stronger to Serve Coaching and Team Building, and this is the Strong Leaders Serve podcast. So, since I'm still learning about psychological safety, I brought on an expert, Stefan Wiedner. We'll hear a bit more about his journey in a bit. But first, let's hear from him on the burning question in your mind. What the heck is psychological safety? I'll start with the definition provided by Amy Emmonson. So if you're not familiar with that name, she's the author of the book called The Fearless Organization, among other titles. And that one really, I think, popularized the term psychological safety. So Amy Emmonson's description of it is, it's a belief that within your work environment, you can speak up, say what's on your mind, express concerns, even admit mistakes. And you can do all of that without the fear of some sort of reprimand or some sort of social consequence. Mm -hmm. Another way that we like to describe psychological safety is that it's the courage to speak up and the confidence to know that you'll be heard. As a leader, we want to create environments where people feel confident that when they do speak up, they're going to be heard. They're not going to be just dismissed. Yes. I love a simple and easy to remember definition. And it's even better if it has some alliteration in it. So you know you have psychological safety on your team when you have the courage to speak up and the confidence to know that you'll be heard. Courage and confidence. Have you been on a team where you haven't had the confidence that you'd be heard? Maybe you were the only woman or member of another minority in the room and had had past experiences where you've made a point that no one acknowledged only to have a male or someone else in the majority make the same point and get praised. Or maybe you were consistently shut down by facial expressions or words when trying to share an idea or different point of view. What did that do to your desire to do your best work? Likely, it eventually made you much less likely to make a contribution to the team. So clearly, we don't want that for our team members. But what can we do? We'll get there. But first, I was curious how Stefan even got into this work. I knew he had quite a history founding Numi.com, the web's largest network of independent life coaches, Skillsetter.com, the deliberate practice platform for interpersonal skills, and Zarango.com, the psychological safety training experts. So I was curious about what got him here. Basically creating the network that we have now, which is a network of thousands of coaches all over the world. And, and so that's the, my real foray into the work around like coaching, organizational behavior, IO psych, all that sort of stuff. Fast forward a little bit. We built Skillsetter as a tool for learning and practicing interpersonal skills. 
And, and so that's alive and well. And, and more recently, I've gotten really interested in the concept of psychological safety and doing some work around psychological safety, but it's all connected, right? To build psychological safety, you want to create really healthy work environments and to create work, healthy work environments that includes coaching. That also includes interpersonal skills. A lot of the coaching that we've done over the years is to support leaders in improving their interpersonal skills and they can be taught and they can be learned. And yes, coaching is helpful. And we also have this software tool where people can practice the skills a little bit more deliberately and get feedback, et cetera. So it all kind of fits together. And when you improve those interpersonal skills, what do you do? You build psychological safety. How cool is that? Coaching and personalized practice that gives you an opportunity to get feedback. I know from my background in education that Stefan is on to something here. That is how we learn anything. Everybody knows that you can't learn to play the piano by reading a book. You got to spend time on the keyboard and you can't learn to play the piano by just doing one concert after the other. Mm -hmm. The same thing can be applied for interpersonal skills. And yet I don't think most of us think about that. You know, they, we think mm -hmm. about maybe learning how to be a better runner or a better athlete or a better musician and using the principles of deliberate practice, but we don't think about applying them to be a better manager or being yeah. a better leader or being a better communicator. And so that's what we're trying to do. If we all improved our interpersonal skills, I think we're going to create a lot more fantastic workplaces where people can show up at work, feel heard, feel understood, feel appreciated, and do great work. Yes. We spend one third of our lives at work. So why not make it great? But in case that's not convincing enough for you to spend time learning about and practicing skills that will raise the level of psychological safety on your team, I asked Stefan why leaders should even care about this. They need to be thinking about it because psychological safety, it correlates with outcomes. It mm. correlates with high performance. So the best teams have the best psychological safety and the worst teams have the least amount of psychological mm. safety. So they correlate. And this is supported by probably the most notable research was Google. Google conducted mm -hmm. a big study. It took them multiple years and they asked the question, what makes an effective team? And at the time there was about 180 Google teams and they ranked them all. So they had the good teams, the medium teams and the bad teams. And of course, bad is relative here. Mm -hmm. And pretty much everybody on Google is an A player, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like these are all like all-stars. You know, if you could have a first round draft pick, they're all first round <laughs> draft picks, mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty mm -hmm. much everybody. And yet some teams outperform others. And they looked at 250 different factors because they went around the organization. They asked the question, what makes an effective team? What do you think are the core factors? And so they had a whole bunch of hypotheses. They threw all of that into their data analysis. Turns out nothing correlated. Hmm. So they then came across psychological safety, the, the academic research, Amy Emmonson, mm -hmm. et cetera. They looked at their data again through the lens of psychological safety. And lo and behold, it was the number one factor. It had the highest correlating coefficient among all of the, all of the factors. And then they identified the next four. So there's five mm -hmm. factors total. And they said, you know, there's a belief there that psychological safety is kind of a gateway for everything else. Mm. And now why is that? Like, why is psychological safety linked to high performance? 
And part of it is has to do with how teams learn. It's really about creating a learning environment. And so I think 100 years ago, psychological safety probably didn't matter nearly as much. You know, the workplace wasn't nearly as technology driven. It wasn't nearly as connected and global. And, you know, we're now living in a time where you can't just have one smart person in a room. You need lots of individuals with different strengths and different areas of expertise and different knowledge coming together to solve complex problems. And so if there's a lot of learning and innovation and adjusting that needs to happen in your workplace, psychological safety matters and matters even more so. In addition to what Stefan was just saying, I was just listening to another podcast where they were talking about an MIT Sloan Management Review study where they were looking at attrition. And they said that a toxic work culture was 10 times more likely to affect attrition than compensation. 10 times more likely. So if you're trying to keep your people by just paying them more, and you don't have psychological safety at the forefront of your mind, you might want to look at that first. So clearly psychological safety isn't just a nice to have, both for retaining your people and for performing well in today's economy, where as Stefan said, you need lots of individuals with different strengths and different areas of expertise coming together to solve complex problems. It's instead a necessity. So I was convinced, but I wanted to get really practical, especially for those of you who are new to leadership. What can you do in the different workplace situations you might find yourself in? We started with the example of a team that already has a decent amount of psychological safety, but wants to improve it. Stefan's first step was music to my measurement loving ears. The first thing I would recommend you do is, is measure it. Measure psychological safety. So if you Google Amy Emmonson's research, there's a paper published in 99, I think it was, that has the seven questions that you can ask your team to fill out. By the way, if you want to hear more about the seven questions you can use to measure psychological safety and hear about it from Stefan's perspective, we recorded a bonus audio clip that you can access from the show notes. Completely free, of course. But after measuring psychological safety on that team, I wanted to know what else you could do. So Stefan gave an example where an improvement in psychological safety could be as easy as establishing a new team norm. Like, for example, there's a dev team that we were working with. So these are all software developers, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. they want to be headphones on, in their computer, just powering away. And so the idea of like asking for help was very challenging because Mm -hmm. it always felt like, well, I can't ask someone for help because they're always really busy and they're always heads down at their computer. And so the norm was to just not ask for help. And yet everyone was open to being asked for help. They just needed to develop a new norm. They needed to to come up with an agreement about how we can go about asking each other for help. So they did that, right? And Mm -hmm. they, they figured out, oh, okay, well, here's how you do it. When someone's working, here's how you can ask a question and the format, you know, whether you do it on Slack or by email or whatever, or tap them on the shoulder, like they came up with a strategy that worked for them. And so that's the kind of thing I think that would help foster psychological safety within a team, especially one where there's likely already a good degree of psychological mm-hmm. safety. So it can be quite simple, 
but I wanted to challenge Stefan next. What about those teams that are in an organization with a culture that is more toxic? You need to be particularly diligent to be the voice for your team, asking for what you need and being strategic within the organization to know how to go about doing that so that your team feels heard and understood and appreciated and you're sort of really leading that effort. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing there. I think making sure that your team knows that within your working environment, they can come to you, they can ask for what they need, and you're going to go go to bat for them. And of course, you have to follow through on that. And so that requires some strategy, right? You need to be strategic about how you ask for things, how you communicate messages to your colleagues or your higher ups so that they are heard and understood. And you might get shut down a lot. And you have to communicate that to the team. I think you want to go back and say, hey, I'm coming up against some walls here, but I'm doing my best. What I like about Stefan's answer is that he talked first about building trust within your team. Especially if you're a new leader, this is critically important. You first want to make sure that your team sees you as both competent and compassionate. And then build a network outside of the team so that you know who is going to be your and your team's advocate when you're not in the room. But he didn't stop there. He then talked about how you can help your team spread psychological safety throughout the organization. You can't say, you're now going to be psychologically safe. (laughs) It needs to develop to some extent organically. That's a great way for things to spread, is if it can just spread kind of one individual to the next, one team to the next. So if you can model behaviors and start to produce results and get performance out of your team, odds are other teams are going to start to look at you and go, whoa, what are they doing? Hmm, That's interesting. And maybe there's even going to be things that you're going to be doing differently from all the other teams, right? Yes. Isn't that every new leader's dream? To operate in a way that others are looking to them and saying, How are you getting those results? But what happens when we face that wall that we likely will when trying to spread psychological safety in a toxic culture? How do you respond when there's a toxic environment Mm -hmm. or someone who's an abrasive individual, right? And I think it's easy for us to feel, basically it's fight or flight, right? You'll either be combative and fight back or you'll flee, right? Sort mm-hmm. of shrink away or slink away and just say, okay, well, clearly I shouldn't be speaking up here and, and, and go away. And so what this is where the deliberate practice really comes in. This, being able to do that in the moment, that, that can be really hard, really hard. So that requires practice. And the more you can expose yourself to those types of challenging environments, the better you are to be able to respond in that moment in a productive way where others go, whoa, that was impressive. Wouldn't you love to be able to respond productively in a challenging situation that could help spread psychological safety throughout your organization? I know I would. So I asked Stefan to get really tactical and give us an example of a skill that we could practice that would help build psychological safety. So the the skill I would point to that is probably like the secret weapon, if you will, is the skill of reflecting process. Mm. So I'll start by describing what that is by describing the other two forms of reflecting. So there's reflecting content, reflecting feeling, 
and then there's reflecting process. Mm -hmm. So what is reflecting content? I think that was pretty straightforward. When someone says, oh, we're struggling, we're going to lose our biggest client because of this and that, and you know the product failed and da-da-da-da, then you can come back and you can reflect the content. You say, oh, okay, so it sounds like we're about to lose our biggest client because the product failed. Is that right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what you're doing is you're summarizing, you're making more concise a bigger thing they said. So if they spoke for a minute, you're going to distill it down to the key is key points in maybe mm -hmm. 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. So that's reflecting content. Pretty straightforward. Most people understand that. Then there's reflecting feeling. Well, it sounds exactly what it, you know, the word describes it almost perfectly. So mm -hmm. when that person is saying, oh, we're going to lose our biggest client and the product didn't work, then you might say, all right, so we're going to lose our biggest client because the product didn't work. And it sounds like you're really frustrated by the product breaker. And they, they might go, yeah. Right. So when right. you reflect feeling correctly, it generally gets a yes, you're right. And that's affirming for the other person, mm -hmm. right? That makes them feel like they've been heard. Then there's reflecting process. So that one is a bit more nuanced and a bit trickier of a skill. What you're doing there is imagine you're in an environment, there's multiple players potentially, or maybe they're just two, but multiple players within a work environment. And then you take yourself off the field and now you're up in the stands. And this is taking what we call the bystand position. You're taking mm -hmm. the bystand position and you're looking at the field and reflecting back what you're seeing. So you might say something like, it. and so you're sort of reflecting back what's happening in the team. I'm noticing we're really stuck here. I'm noticing we're not moving forward, or I'm noticing there's no room for innovation or creativity here. And notice I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at the person. You're just pointing out what is happening. And you might use a self-involving statement as well to say, and I'm feeling really frustrated mm -hmm. in the moment because mm -hmm. X, Y, Z. So that reflecting process helps the team kind of go, oh, that's what's happening. Yeah, we're feeling really stuck. So let's get back to the practice and feedback that Stefan was talking about. I wanted to know how that actually worked. We call it like a flight simulator for interpersonal mm -hmm. skills. So mm -hmm. the way it works, it is that we have a library of clips mm -hmm. that are challenging moments in a team. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's a one-on-one, -on -one, maybe it's a team, there's multiple people in the video. You watch the video and then the technology allows you to record a response. And we break it down by skill. So today you're practicing the skill of reflecting content. So someone's going to say something when the video, when their video stops and yours turns on, you can record a response and you're just going to reflect content. You're yeah. just going to say back to them what they just said. And then you practice that skill. And then when you're done, you hit stop. And now you're given two options. You're given the option to watch yourself or you're given the option to re-record. Because maybe you're like, oh gosh, I kind of missed a point or I was really rambling there. <laughs> they talk for 40 seconds and I talk for a minute and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I didn't make direction. that. Yeah, I didn't make that more concise. I I sort of rambled on. So okay, I'm going to try again. And then and then with each skill, there's a set of rubric questions that are provided for you to self evaluate. Mm -hmm. So for the skill of reflecting content, we might ask, did you reflect the core ideas that the other person expressed? Yes or no? And that's pretty much it, like reflecting content, fairly simple, but we might ask other questions like about your emotional expression. Like, did you match the emotional expression that was 
or was your emotional expression appropriate mm -hmm. or was your tone of voice appropriate? You know, looking at some of those finer nuanced items, because often what we see, especially in a business setting, a lot of people fail to recognize how low their affect is mm. that they, they come across as just kind of flat. Mm -hmm. and, and so we want to bring consciousness to that, we'll bring mm -hmm. people, make people more aware of how they're coming across when they're mm -hmm. communicating. So that rubric really helps guide their own evaluation for how they're doing. Yeah. And then when they're ready and they're happy with their response, they can submit it. And then they get feedback from our interpersonal skills experts who are also skilled at giving really good and helpful feedback so that then the next time they can try something different or try something new. I come from a learning background and, and performance improvement background, and that just makes me happy just hearing about the deliberate practice paired with the opportunity for reflection and for feedback. Mm -hmm. And so we give that feedback through, well, A, you get your own feedback because you get to watch yourself. That's mm -hmm. one form of feedback. And then you get to reflect on how you did and, and, and beat yourself. That's another form of feedback. And then the third is you get this external form of feedback. You get someone else saying, mm -hmm. hmm, you did this well, you did that great. You could improve this other thing. So I had one last question for Stefan. Because at Stronger to Serve, we're all about supporting you to create more just and compassionate workplaces through your leadership. I wanted to ask Stefan how being a woman or someone from a historically marginalized group might relate to your feelings of psychological safety. I think about a classroom of five and six-year-olds, you know, sitting on the floors, the teacher sitting in a little chair, reading a book or having a discussion. And then mm -hmm. there's he or she, the teacher might ask a question and, you know, there's kids going, oh, 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 oh. you know, like kids are just so eager. They want to spew out whatever it is they have to say. And then there's other kids that are sitting in the back, just quietly not mm -hmm. providing any input, not raising their hand. That to some degree is, is psychological safety, right? In that context. And if you think about that in a business setting, how many times are there people just going, oh, 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 pick me, pick me. I have something really intelligent to say. And then there's other people that are just sitting back quietly. And sure, I think there are males and females that will be on both ends of that. And I'm curious, are we socialized different so that men are more likely to go, oh, 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 pick me. I have something really important to say. And women, perhaps a little less so. Now, I don't have any conclusive evidence mm -hmm. on that. But I, I'm, I'm curious about it. I've been doing a little bit of reading about this, looking to experts for it. I think psychological safety is correlated with the threat assessment you do when you're going into a room. Will I be accepted here? And I heard from Tara Moore. She's a, a coach that runs a program called Playing Big. And she said, you know, historically, women had to rely on being accepted in order for their survival. We're talking back when we had nomadic communities, right? You have to be accepted or else you don't have a way to provide for yourself. And so they became very adept at understanding feedback and kind of adjusting their actions accordingly. So I'm curious also about the effect that has on psychological safety and, and how that relates, because I could see, and, you know, we kind of help women work through this as well, being really concerned about people's reactions to what they say, maybe more so than men. I think it brings up a lot of great curiosity and 
And, and that's why I think there's so much more work to be done in this mm-hmm. space of psychological safety where everyone, I mean, everyone can feel like they can show up at work and be their best. That yeah. means everyone, <laughs> not just my white friends mm-hmm. or male. <laughs> and just imagine what a world it could be when, when we all feel that way and we can Absolutely. all bring our strengths to the table. Mm-hmm. And we can figure out how to best work together and have everybody showing up, giving their best. We've proven as a human race, we can do amazing things. What a rich conversation. I'm grateful to Stefan for coming on. If you'd like to find out more about the work that he does, connect with him via LinkedIn or at Zarango.com. All of the links are in the show notes. And that bonus clip that I mentioned where he goes into the seven items you can use to measure psychological safety. We talked about psychological safety being simply defined as an environment where you have the courage to speak up and the confidence you'll be heard. But I know that you would probably love more granular details about the behaviors that are present on a team with high psychological safety. So head on over to the show notes to get that bonus clip. And remember, it's completely free. Until next week, lead with this quote from Brene Brown in mind. Daring leaders work to make sure people can be themselves and feel a sense of belonging.